0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.
2: And it's only for anything from two to three minutes, but icy cold shower and I take a deep breath. I focus my thoughts. I make myself breathe through my nose, deep nasal breathing from the belly, and I step into the shower. And the goal is to not flinch, to not blink, to not have that sharp like mammalian dive reflex intake of breath through the mouth. Like you just basically go into this zone and you step into the shower and you just let it go. Um, that that is excellent at producing an enhanced stress response or, or allowing you you to be more resilient to stress in that manner.
4: Ben, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Hey, thanks for having me on. us, Yeah, my pleasure. So uh, I came across you by way of our mutual friend, Clay Haybear, who uh, can finally say I'm saying his name right because I've said it wrong so many times on the show. Uh, so tell us a bit about yourself, your story, your, your background, and how that has led to you doing the work that you're doing in the world today.
2: First of all, I'm glad you said Hey because I think I've always pronounced his last name Hey or Herbert or something so, like that. So, so did I. So did I'm, I. And he finally I'm very,
4: very glad that I <laughs> now know.
2: Yeah. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this. And he's oh, just he's impressed going to listen he, to it when he, since hear, he was, when he hears me say his last name.
4: Yeah, well, he's the one who ref- connected us, so I'm sure he's going to listen to it. So, <laughs> uh,
2: well, you know, I, I grew up homeschooled, and I was homeschooled K through 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and initially, for the first several years of my life, really uh, the first decade of my life, spent most of my time like in my bedroom reading fantasy novels and uh, you know playing chess and you know. Played violin from the age of five, and I was just like a a consummate nerd, total nerd. And at about the age of 13 or so, I really started to get into tennis. And uh, tennis took me into the world of like fitness and lifting weights and playing other sports. And I just fell in love with like exercise and sports and this whole new world of like physical activity and figuring out how to make my body better. And when I got to college, instead of going into computer programming and learning how to make the next. World of Warcraft, which was my initial plans early on, I instead went on and studied exercise science, nutrition, uh, got a master's degree in, in physiology and biomechanics, and went on to work as a personal trainer for the next uh, six years manage personal training studios and gyms open my own studios and gyms and basically just kind of kind of had a, a series of um, personal training facilities in washington and idaho and in 2008 i was nominated as the top personal trainer in the usa and uh, after that my kids were born and i kind of started to move into doing a lot more freelance writing and like online program creating and stuff like that after that point and that's kind of what I do now. Is I do a lot of podcasting, a lot of blogging, a lot of freelancing, some speaking. I work with a small number of folks from around the world via Skype as like a health coach. Um, you know, for folks who are like you know doing Ironman triathlon or who want to think better or, or live longer. And um, that's how I spend most of my time right now. You know, I'm standing in my home office and looking out into the garden. And you know, this is this is where I this is where I live now.
4: Hmm. Well, let me ask you this. You know, I actually really like the fact that you brought up your homeschooled K through 12. And this is fascinating to me. I'm really curious. I mean, when you have that kind of an upbringing and, and that kind of a childhood, how does something like that sort of influence and shape your view of the world from, you know, a social and an intellectual perspective and, and how you live uh, today?
2: totally screws you up for life dude don't, <laughs> don't ever do it no no I act I actually homeschool my own kids um, mm-hmm. because I, I do like the fact that it makes you an independent thinker it is the complete opposite of growing up learning how to be like a factory worker or a drone or someone who um, you know who, who basically just like follows the rules without really thinking mm-hmm. um, and in some ways like that's come back to bite me there are some situations where I find that I have weakness like I'm not that great at being a team player. Um, I'm really not that great at having a boss or or listening to rules from someone else. And you know, in in, in certain situations, you know that that's come back to to be a bad thing. You know, for example, in in uh, college sports, I played collegiate tennis. I was not the most coachable kid on the team, um, just because I'd I'd grown up doing a lot of my own coaching, doing a lot of my own independent thinking, and I also didn't do really all that well in team situations or team building activities just because I was a loner, you know, a lot of the time. So on the, in the same uh, or, or kind of uh, um, in, in contrast to that, you know, I do have a great deal of independent creativity. And, you know, that's probably sparked from the fact that when my parents wanted me to learn, say, like algebra, they just like dropped an algebra book on the, on the floor of my bedroom and told me to to learn it. And so, you know, I I had to grow up being a really kind of independent learner and thinking creatively and figuring out how to, how to kind of solve problems for myself. And I think that, you know, there, there's certainly a lot of advantages to being homeschooled in that respect. And I also think that there are, there are better ways to like homeschool a kid than to put a book on their floor and tell them to, to learn it. I don't, I'm not saying that that's ideal. Uh, you know, and in this day and age, there are like, you know, online tutors and private tutors and homeschool groups and, um, all sorts of solutions that we now take advantage of with our, our twin boys when it comes to their education. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I think probably the biggest thing is, um, you know, I think outside the box quite a bit and probably one other thing that, that, I, I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but being homeschooled, um, I've never really had a mentor. Like I, I never really did that well, like reaching out to someone who's going to be like my teacher or my mentor or the person who like influenced my decisions, like not, not in a really intensive manner, you know, those are the people I've, I've asked for, for advice from, but that's another thing is, you know, I've, I've kind of, uh, kind of been a lone wolf a, a lot of the, uh, you know, along the journey of a lot of what I've done. So mm-hmm. You know, again, not necessarily like the best thing, but that's just kind of like the way the cookie crumbled.
4: Well, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, I, I really love, you know, sort of the, the positive byproducts of this. And as I'm listening to you say that, I can't help but think so many of us are indoctrinated into a way of, of thinking and, and, you know, not questioning what we've been told and just following a script. And what I'm curious about is how we cultivate our own independent creativity if we have been sort of indoctrinated into a system that was designed to turn us into factory workers. Well...
2: You know, I I think that a big part of it is taking advantage of the huge amount of resources that are out there now to learn for yourself and to, you know, do is like, there's a, there's a guy named James L. Tucher. I I don't Mm -hmm. know if you've had him on your podcast, if you know who he is, but you know, he wrote this book called Choose Yourself and he's, you know, he's got great essays out there about how much college stinks and you know how our modern education system has its failures and how much information there is out there to be had that allows you to to build your own education, you know, via the blogosphere and via the the iTunes library of, of you know, academic lectures from, you know, prestigious institutions like Harvard and Yale and Stanford and, you know, that I think that one of the first things to do is think about getting your education beyond the classroom. You know, mm-hmm. delving in and, and using you know sites like like feedly to subscribe to a bunch of blogs in the sector that you're really interested in and that you have a passion for and doing the same with podcasts and doing the same with like Kindle unlimited for books and basically getting really comfortable educating yourself and delving in and having a really open mind and realizing that a lot of this stuff you don't necessarily need to learn in a classroom format I mean, sure, if you want to be a doctor, you, you know, yeah. do surgery like you should probably go, you know, spend some time in a biochemistry lab, you know, lear- learning about reactions and then eventually wind up, you know, actually, you know, spending a great deal of time in a hospital actually doing surgeries. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to be a writer or an author or an entrepreneur, I mean, there are there are better, faster, more efficient ways to learn the skills necessary for succeeding in
4: those ventures. You know, well, yeah, I always say <clears throat> doctors and airline pilots, probably the only two people I don't want to uh, have, you know, self-educated. Although my sister is a doctor and it's apparent, apparently the first two years of med school are available on iTunes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, before you get to the to the clinical stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's what I can't really think of anybody besides maybe like. You know, I, I guess it depends. Like, there are some people that you definitely want to have like a formal education that goes way above and beyond just like online coursework. Mm-hmm. You know, like someone who's going to like build a home that you sleep in. But you know, a lot of that stuff there are there are apprenticeships. I mean, that's how traditionally before college education, a lot of people learned was just like going in and doing an apprenticeship. You know, and whatever plumbing, home building, you know, horseshoeing, mm-hmm. blacksmithing, whatever. So,
4: well, let me ask you this. I mean, you mentioned that you're homeschooling your kids and you're doing it in a way instead of. Just just throwing books at them. So, you know, one of the things that I see in this world that we're still trying to figure out, uh, you know, and I think this will actually, in a lot of ways, make a really interesting transition to the core of what I want to talk about, which is, is a lot of the optimization work you do around health and fitness. But I mean, giving ourselves an optimal structure for learning in a world of just information overload, because I, you know, one of the things I see so often is people just become information junkies, but they're not actually applying it to their lives, and it becomes this sort of. Uh, you know, for lack of something less crude mental masturbation almost. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd be really curious, one, how you structured your children's education so that it does lead to a positive output, as well as, you know, how we can self-educate in a way that actually leads to an outcome. Yeah.
2: I mean, there's this concept of unschooling, and I think one of the leading websites for it is like unschoolery.com or unschoolery.org. And I like the concept of using immersion in a certain activity to teach. So, for example, uh, we moved to Thailand over last winter for about a month and a half and just immersed ourselves in that culture where the kids could learn about Asian culture and, you know, Thai cooking and speaking Thai and riding on little baby elephants and exploring the country and getting very comfortable being around a new culture and expanding their mind. As they did so, and you know, for six months going into that trip, we'd go to the local Thai bamboo restaurant, and I'd bring my Kindle with our Thai learning app on there, and we'd learn how to order, you know, pad Thai guy versus pad Thai goong, and you know, learn how to how to speak with the people there, you know, but make it a fun process. We're ordering food in the, you know, at the same time, and same thing at home. We'd cook Thai meals once a week at home, where the kids could learn how to cook and learn how to prep food and get comfortable in the kitchen, but do so uh, in, in that format of preparing to go to Thailand you know, mm-hmm. and, and learn about that culture. So choosing, choosing something that you want to learn and going way above and beyond the book and instead immersing yourself in that activity in as many different ways as possible is really important and it's a fun way to learn too. Um, you know, so, so that's one thing. And, and we are always online on our local community calendars, looking for field trips, looking for activities, looking for like local social or community things that are occurring that allow us to tap into whatever it is that our kids happen to be interested in at the moment. So I, I think that that's really important is to just immerse yourself in all the opportunities that are around you and then like choose, um, choose adventures that you can go on that you kind of have to plan for and prepare for. And I still do that in, in my own life. Like I've been learning how to do things like super cold water swimming and rucking with packs and um, uh, like mental strengthening, deep breathing techniques, all this stuff leading up to uh, a seal fit immersion so I'm going down to do basically what's like hell week for civilians where there's this guy that trains a bunch of Navy SEALs down in California. But if your, if your athletic resume checks out, he'll let you in and you get to train like a Navy SEAL for eight days, Mm -hmm. you know, with the sleep deprivation and the cold water immersion and all that stuff. But, you know, for me that's, you know, and, and I'm actually going down there this, uh, this Friday, you know, five days from now. And, um, you know, for me that's shaped A lot of my activities for the past six months. So I'm a big fan, you know, whether you're a kid or an adult of like choosing an event that just like shoves you outside your comfort zone and forces you to learn a bunch of new things in preparation for that event. And that could be, you know, everything from beat poetry to, you know, to a music night at a local coffee shop to, you know, an Ironman triathlon. Mm
4: hmm. So let me ask you this. Um, you know, you mentioned tennis as this huge part of your life. And I'm always curious how your people's past experiences, especially in something so pivotal, uh, sort of influences and shapes who they are in the world today. And I'm really curious kind of about, you know, lessons from the tennis court that you've brought to your life and, and you know, to the way you live it today.
2: Well, tennis is kind of like boxing without actually having to get hit in the face, right? You're just like you're, – you're exchanging blows except it's with the tennis racket and the ball. And so you're, you're thinking on the fly. It's a little bit of mental chess. Um, I think the most important thing about tennis though is because it's, it's like a combination of large and fine motor skills – And that mental game, you have to learn how to not crumble under pressure. Mm -hmm. And anybody who's played tennis knows that when you're serving and whatever, you're you're down four games to five, and you're serving at, you know, 1540 and you're on your second serve, and this serve is gonna make or break the entire match. I mean, your palms are sweating and your heart is beating. And at the same time, you're also having to direct a ball into a relatively small square you know, several feet away. And it's, um, you know, I I think the biggest lesson that I learned from tennis was just to really breathe and stay calm under pressure and keep the mind focused in the moment, not let the mind wander, Mm -hmm. you know, what I need to do later today. What's the next point going to be like? Um, You know, what did I forget to do this morning? You know, who's that out in the, in the stands watching, you know, it's just like, extreme focus combined with trying to breathe and stay calm under pressure. So, you know, that, that was the biggest thing that I learned from tennis was just learning how to control emotions
4: Mm
2: and, and, you know, I, I have my kids playing tennis as well. You know, they're little right-handed and left-handed twin boys. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to teach them the game at an early age too, because I think that it that it does really teach you a lot of lessons. You know, it's similar to, to golf in that respect. I think it's just a little bit more physically demanding.
4: Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. I mean, you mentioned crumbling under pressure and controlling emotions. I mean, how do we cultivate our capacity not to crumble under pressure and, and to control our emotions? I mean, what are things that we can do?
2: All right. So, now we're going to delve into my wheelhouse. <laughs> um, so, one of the things that I use with a lot of my clients and myself is just basic, simple biofeedback. So, I use a, a monitor called a heart rate variability monitor for this. Uh-huh. So, I have, and, and there's a variety of apps out there for achieving this goal. I use one called a SweetBeat. It's this app that you download to your phone And what I do, the way I use it is I roll over when I wake up every morning and I grab the little heart rate monitor, I put that on and it feeds my heart rate data into the app. And what the app is doing is it's measuring the amount of time spent between each heartbeat. Now, if you have a very robust and responsive nervous system that's able to handle stress and be very resilient to stress, then What's ideal from a biological standpoint is that the variability between each heartbeat and the variability in the time between each heartbeat jumps around just a little bit, tiny little microseconds, but it shows that your body is constantly like evolving and moving and adapting to the little changes in the environment around it. Now, if you have what's called low heart rate variability, meaning that your heart rates, the, the time between each heartbeat is just like constant. That's not a good thing. It means that you're basically almost like flatline in terms of your, your nervous system's ability to withstand stress. So what you can do is if you have a low heart rate variability, there are breathing drills, and there are even uh, biofeedback programs that you can put onto your computer that allow you to consciously think about certain things, you know, feelings of of relaxation, thinking about positive moments, imagining people who you love and kind of like placing them in your heart. And you can, you can stare at a screen and you actually have a cable connecting the, the app, which is reading your heart rate signal, into the computer. And as you, as you change your thought patterns, as you change your focus, as you learn to direct your conscious to like control your subconscious and your nervous system you can play games with the computer screen like you can have a barren landscape and and, you know one of the games you'll you'll like be trying to make like a garden grow in that landscape and trees grow and, and bushes grow another one is just like a basic simple color app where you're trying to to get your color to turn blue from red showing that your heart rate variability is going up but Heart rate variability is a big one, and uh, you can track that all day long, but in most cases, you you can get a great deal of benefit just from rolling over each morning and doing a quick check-in, seeing what your heart rate variability is at. And if it's tracking high, then you're good to go. If it's tracking low, then you stop and you do some deep breathing and uh, some of these these techniques that actually allow you to better control stress and have a more robust nervous system. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of heart rate variability as one really, really good way to to build focus and build resilience to stress.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, so let me ask you this, uh, and, and this is, is kind of a relevant question, maybe not, but you know I, I had uh, uh, you know our mutual friend, I think you know Jason Ganard as well, and one of the things that he talked about was this quote from Victor Frankel's book, where he said you know there's a space between stimu- stimulus and response when something happens to us in our lives, and that's where our suffering lies often and you know I, I think about that and I think that you know that that space for most people is such a snap second thing that we don't really even have the ability to pause and i'm wondering does something like this give us that ability to pause i mean and and then of course how do you make it second nature i mean is it like how do you make it habitual to have that pause between stimulus and response so we don't go into sort of this you know fight or flight response
2: yeah so there there's two different ways to do that um the, the, one, one of the ways is through hormesis, which is mild exposures to little bits of stress throughout the day that allow your body to become more accustomed to and better able to hand stressors. Like I take a cold shower three times a day, and it's only for anything from two to three minutes. But icy cold shower, and I take a deep breath. I focus my thoughts. I make myself breathe through my nose, deep nasal breathing from the belly, and I step into the shower. And the goal is to not flinch, to not blink, to not have that sharp, like, mammalian dive reflex intake of breath through the mouth. Like, you just basically go into this zone, and you step into the shower, and you just let it go. Um, that That is... Excellent at producing an enhanced stress response or, or allowing you, you to be more resilient to stress in that manner. So I'm a big fan of that. Um, another example of hormetic stress would be the use of heat. You can do that in the same way. Like I'll, I'll go to a sauna one or two times a week. And treat it like one of those old Indian sweat lodges where you'll just like sit cross-legged on the sauna. Sometimes I'll bring a magazine or a book that I'll kind of read until it gets to the point where it's getting really hot, at which point it it gets pretty difficult to read. And in most saunas, this takes 20 to 25 minutes before that kicks in. And your goal is to stay in there about 30 to 40 minutes, not drinking too much water, letting your body get really hot. But you get to a certain point where you want to get out. Like you, you, you almost get into this panic mode where, where it's similar to like claustrophobia. You're like, let me out, let me out. It's getting very hot. And at that point, what I'll begin doing is what's called box breathing, where you take a four count in, you hold your breath for four counts, you take a four count out. And you hold your breath out for four counts and you're doing all this through your nose, this deep nasal breathing. The reason you don't do it through your mouth is because when you breathe through your mouth, that allows you to engage in shallow chest breathing. And you have baroreceptors in your chest, these little pressure receptors in your chest that when you breathe through your chest, you get a release of cortisol and that that cortisol that that stress hormone doesn't help you out in, in any type of stressful situation at all. I mean, like its its role is to allow you to, to run from a lion or run from a bear or whatever for very short periods of time in that scenario. But you don't want that thing getting churned out, you know, during a work day. So that's what you're trying to train is you're sitting there in the sauna doing this deep nasal box breathing. Is your ability to be able to be resilient to stress. And to allow yourself in these, these micro situations, like when, you know, the lion jumps out from the email inbox in your computer Mm -hmm. for you to be able to, to, to dive into that same thought pattern that you had when you were like stepping into the cold shower or doing your box breathing as you stare at the wall of the sauna, really wanting to get out, but forcing yourself to stay in there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the same mechanism that you tap into when you open up the email That that is, you know, whatever. Stressing out bad news. One more project for you to do that day, all of a sudden, you know, deep nasal breathing, four count in, hold, four count out. And you all of a sudden begin to engage in that second nature when you experience emotional stress or work stress or relationship stress stress, not just physical stress. So I'm a huge fan of using these little hormetic stressors like cold and heat. And I mean, even exercise technically is is a stressor in that respect, like learning how to how to stay calm when you're, when you're pushing around heavy weights in the weight room, or maybe when you're charging up a treadmill, you can do the same thing. You can focus your mind. You can do deep nasal breathing. You can use rhythmic breathing. Um, you know, for myself, like when I'm training, when I'm running, I try to breathe through my nose as much as possible for the same reasons that outlined earlier, but the same thing, like it, all of that allows you to become more resilient to stress when it occurs in other situations in your life. And finally, that, like that app that I mentioned, that, that SweetBeat app that I use, and most of these other heart rate variability apps that are out there, they have things like breath pacers on them, where if you're wearing a heart rate monitor that is gathering data about stress from your heart rate, if it detects that your heart rate variability is dropping or that you're becoming stressed – it will start to vibrate or it'll make a little sound. It'll bring up the breath pacer. And the breath pacer is just a a rhythmic pacer. So you look at it and you breathe in as it goes up, and you breathe out as it goes down, in as it goes up, and out as it goes down. And eventually, once your heart rate variability returns back to normal, the breath pacer goes away, so that screen disappears, and then you can go back to your work day. So sometimes it can be helpful to kind of wear these things all day as you're first getting used to your stress response and how to control it.
3: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com.
4: Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated.
0: Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase.
4: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you. Wow, I, I love this. This is just uh, really really brilliant stuff. Let me ask you this. I uh, you know I think I love the fact that this becomes second nature. You know, one thing that I see, and this is just from personal experience, is that I tend to become consumed by one thing that's stressing me out. Uh, whatever it is, it could be something related to the business or some bad news or whatever it is. How do you how do you keep yourself from going? I mean, does this help with something like that as well? Um, yeah, that's a a good
2: question. I I guess like if you've got one thing that you simply can't get off your mind, and and this is just speaking from from personal experience, what I found to work for me, and I don't know if this this would actually work for other people, but I get away. Like I I have a guitar in the room outside my office. And there's actually it's kind of like Guitar Hero, and for some reason this just like takes me away and allows me to check out and completely forget that problem. But it's called um, what's the, I don't have my phone in here. Also, it's like the Rogue Rogue app, I think it's called. But it's, it's this guitar app, but it's like Guitar Hero for your iPhone. So what it does is you sit there and play your guitar and you don't have to have it plugged in or anything but it detects whether or not you're you're hitting the actual notes that it's playing on the screen and it's showing the fingers just have you seen guitar hero like uh-huh. the screen from guitar hero and you're sitting there just like playing and it has like Anything from five to ten minute tunes that you're playing. And you know, you're trying to amass points and get a score and, and keep your percentage, you know, up above 90%. So you're hitting most of the notes. I'm a huge fan of something like that that totally distracts you and takes you away for getting a breather from something that's stressing you out. And then like I'll return to a hardcore article or a difficult email or you know, a web page I'm trying to copyright or something like that. And it's like I push the reboot button on my body after I do that. Um, you know, it's it's kind of similar to like going for a run or stopping to exercise, which is also great. But you're not getting sweaty and you don't have to shower and you don't have to put your shoes on. So, um, you know, if you have access to music... And, you know, being able to, to do something like that, that totally takes your mind off of the activity, um, you know, that, that, that can be one really good way to do it. Another thing that kind of acts similarly to exercise, and there's, there's a lot of these devices out there now, but they're like breath training devices. Mm-hmm. And it's like a quick workout for your lungs. And what happens is when you engage in focused resisted breathing you increase your alpha brainwave production and that's like the the brainwaves that kind of help help you to be in the zone or help you to not be stressed or help to decrease cortisol you know it's like the zone that Michael Jordan was in when he would hit like you know 45 points in a game it's called the alpha brainwave zone and there are devices like i've got one here on my desk one called a power lung and what you do is you just breathe in and out of this resisted breathing device and it's a three second out three second in and you do 10 repeats on this this uh power lung and w- you finish that and feel like you've been at like Bikram yoga or something like that for an hour, but it's a very, very quick, like check in, check out. It works really well when you're stuck in traffic too. I've got one in the glove box in my car. Um, there's another breath training device that I've been playing around with lately and it's, it's brand new. Um, it's called like a pro. I think it's in the, in the other room, it's called a pro two or something like that, but it literally is this little breath train device that comes with an iPad and all you do is breathe in and it shows you how strong your lungs are or how, how much force your lungs are producing. And then you get a relaxation phase and then you do it again. You do like six sets in a row of breathing in and, you know, it's, it's as long a breath as you can take. But same thing, you you just feel reset after you finish a set on this thing. And, you know, you, uh, it seems like I've been talking about breath a lot in the, in the podcast so far. Yeah. And there's a big reason for that. It's just huge. You know, he, uh, you, know who Wim Hof is the ice man is the guy in like the Columbia coat commercials. Um, he's got the world record for a uh, total amount of time spent immersed in ice. Uh, you know, he'll, you'll like see him on TV, like on a mountaintop sitting, you know, cross-legged in the snow this crazy bearded guy—he's like from Norway or something like that. But he does what's called inner fire breathing or power breathing to prepare for something as stressful as sitting in ice for two hours where he just does like these forceful nasal breaths in. And then he breathes out through his mouth and he does this in and out repeatedly for about 30 times. And then he finishes with a forceful exhale and a forceful inhale. And then he steps into the ice, right? Like mm-hmm. he steps into the stress and That's all it takes for him to literally heat up his body from the inside and help him to be able to handle that. So, um, you know, kind of of a long-winded, you know, segue to answer to your question, but those are some of the things I'd try.
4: No, I love it. I think it's, it's actually genius. And uh, it actually makes a, a perfect setup to really get into the, the gist of what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about. You know, when, when you, you know in your intro, you said really you, you, what you're looking at is how we use health and fitness to think better and live longer. You know, we've talked about breath. So let's talk about it in other areas because I know there's a bunch of other crazy stuff that you were into, uh, you know, from a health and nutrition standpoint. And also, uh, I definitely want to s- spend a little bit of time talking about smart drugs at the recommendation of uh, my friend Matt. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, so, so what's your question? Well, I guess let's, let's start with food and nutrition and, and kind of, well, let's talk about this idea of, you know, thinking better, uh, and living longer, but let's start with the thinking better part first. Um, and see, you know, how, how do we use health and fitness and nutrition to, to think better?
2: You know, and you, you have these little cells called glial cells in your brain. And the way that, that they were described to me once was like they're these little chihuahuas walking around with machine guns. And, you know, once, once they get this stimulus to go off, it's like all these chihuahuas running around your brain firing off their machine guns. And when glial cells get overactivated, the thing that causes that is inflammation. And neural inflammation is a huge issue in people. And it's what you feel when you have brain fog or difficulty focusing or even feel like you're forced to task switch repeatedly throughout the day. Some of that can be simple trained ADD by you engaging in multitasking because the brain is programmable in that respect. But it's also just a state of brain inflammation. Some of the things that can cause uh, brain inflammation or, or like neural cell degradation or just lack of, of healthy neuronal tissue in the brain, um, one would be omega-6 fatty acids, excessive intake of omega-6 fatty acids, um, particularly from vegetable oils. Like I, w- I was at the airport flying back from uh, uh, San Francisco yesterday and I go to like the healthy food section of the little news store at the airport and it's got like, you know, the wasabi peas and, and the, the gluten-free bars and the gluten-free snack mixes and, you know, like the apple chips and all the stuff that's supposed to be healthy at the, at the airport. And if you turn over and you look at the label on the back, like the two major components that cause full body inflammation and brain inflammation are in there. Almost everyone is either packed with canola oil or sunflower oil or safflower oil, or else it's got another thing that causes what's called glycation in neural tissue, meaning uh, cane sugar, organic cane sugar, agave syrup, maltodextrin, you know, like all these little, little secret names for sugar. So, cleaning up vegetable oils and cleaning up processed sugar sources from your diet are two of the most important things that you can do to shut down brain inflammation. And, you know, the reason I brought up the example of the healthy foods at the airport is because the sad thing is a lot of things that cause brain inflammation we're eating and we think are healthy, like, mm-hmm. you know, stir fry from PF Chang's and like, you know, the, the healthy snack pack foods that you get at the grocery store. It's like most of those are drenched in brain inflammation producing oils because oils are very, very capable of crossing the blood brain barrier and, you know, particularly the oxidized fats and causing these type of issues so that would be one thing. Mm-hmm. And then the, the other strategy, when we're talking about things from a nutrition standpoint, kind of less of an omission and more of a commission would be consuming foods that encourage healthy neural tissue and in particular, the ability to have really, really good nerve transmission. So if you look at like the, the sheaths that, that surround your nerves that allow nerve signal transmissions to to travel down a nerve they're called myelin sheaths and they're comprised of fats about 30% of a myelin sheath is is comprised of what's called oleic acid which as the name would imply comes from olive oil So using a lot of these really healthy plant-based oils that are cold processed and really naturally derived, super important. So you've got like, you know, extra virgin olive oil, some of like the artisanal olives from the grocery store. Um, Those are really good as are avocados and avocado oil raw seeds, raw nuts, not like the roasted, heated stuff, not the trail mixes, not the nuts and seeds you'll find in cereals, but just like raw seeds or raw nuts, or we even have like a dehydrator on our kitchen counter. So we'll dehydrate them, you know, soak them first overnight and then dehydrate them to make them a little bit more digestible. But like, you know, dehydrator is a very, very low heat method of cooking. It doesn't oxidize the oils and the fats and the nuts the same ways you're going to find in like canola oil and sunflower oil, stuff like that. Um, So really, really good, healthy sources of fat. Wild caught fish, I'm a big fan of fish oil. I like that for brain health. I take about four to six grams a day of fish oil on any day where I'm not eating like a good, big serving of cold water fish or like some salmon or something like that. Um, The fact is that, that a low fat diet, is one of the worst things you can do for brain health and for nerve cell transmission. And there's, there's even um, some evidence that once your total cholesterol drops below 200, your IQ drops. And so all of these drugs and methods to lower cholesterol really aren't doing people much of a favor when it comes to their neural health, Hmm. because cholesterol is only dangerous in the presence of inflammation from a couple of those sources I talked about, like vegetable oils and sugar um, or if your cholesterol is, uh, what's called small oxidized cholesterol particles, which are really very, very easily able to dig into endothelial cell walls and cause like atherosclerosis and plaque and things like that. Uh, but in most cases that type of cholesterol comes from, um, fake fats, trans fats, vegetable oils, things like that, not from these natural, healthy fat sources that i just got done talking about so i mean like you know we of course there's like smart drugs and you know caffeine like all this stuff that certainly can make you think faster or improve cognitive performance Mm -hmm. but like if you're dumping vegetable oils and sugars in and causing brain inflammation and kind of activating those little machine gun firing chihuahuas or you're not getting enough healthy fats in your diet because you're like fat phobic or eating a low fat diet or choosing a lot of fat free foods um you know, you're leaving a huge amount of cognitive potential on the table. Hmm.
4: Well, I think that makes a perfect setup to to talking uh, specifically about cognitive potential and smart drugs, because, uh, you know, this is something I'm personally interested in. I know it, it's kind of all the rage on the Internet at the moment. I mean, it, it seems like a lot of people when you hear Tim Ferriss talk about <laughs> some of his work with it, I know that I've heard you talk about it on your shows. And, uh, you know, my, my friend Matt was he said, you've got to ask Ben about smart drugs, because I'm sure he'll have some pretty interesting stuff to share. Yeah. I mean, like I'll use smart drugs.
2: I certainly find myself in situations where I've traveled across five time zones and I've landed at 11 PM and gotten to my hotel by, you know, a little after midnight and I got to get up at 6 AM to be at the conference by seven and speak at eight. And it's like, know, I don't care how much fish oil you take or how much, you know, how many wasabi peas you avoided at the airport as you were traveling. It's like, um, you still feel pretty crappy from a cognitive standpoint when you're in a situation like that. And that's where better living through science can kind of kick in and help you. So I certainly will use, um, little stat stacks in a situation like that, um, and I, you know, I I use different things in different situations. Uh, for example, one stack that is particularly useful for very long cognitive performance scenarios, like where you know you're gonna, you're you're jet lagged. You're low on sleep, but you have to be at a conference all day. And it's not just like you're speaking and going back to the airport. You know, it's not just like you're, you're talking for a half hour and you're gone. It's like, you know, you're going to be there all day long networking and talking with people and shaking hands and like making friends. And then maybe, you know, drinking after that at, at, at the bar, at the, at the after party. You know, it's just like, you're just like, man, I got to go all day long today. That's where something um like a liver-friendly smart stack can help. Like, you know, there, there are certain things like modafinil and prescription smart drugs, but I don't like that those are metabolized by the liver. They're expensive. They are uh, unavailable to some folks without a doctor's prescription or without ordering them, you know, online through like, you know, worldpharmacy.org or, you know, one of these these kind of sketchy, like, you know, websites where you're getting stuff from, from India. You know, you don't necessarily know how clean the source is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you look at, um, you know, there's there's like a site like North. Where you can get some pretty good, um, relatively pure, bulk powdered forms of smart drugs. And one stack you'd use in a scenario like that would be uh, paracetam, aniracetam, and alpha-GPC. So the racetams are a component of chemicals that will increase brain activity and nerve cell transmission. And one of the downsides of that is that they rapidly deplete an important component of nerve cell transmission called choline in the brain. Mm -hmm. So you want to replete choline at the same time that you'd use anything from the racetam family. So one thing that I'll do if I'm in one of these situations where I know it's just like, go, 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 or even like a multi-day conference or something like that, I'll use uh, paracetam, aracetam and alpha GPC and the, the mix uh, that you'd start the day off with, um, you know, with breakfast or before breakfast. And I'll, I don't have an encapsulation machine or anything like this. I just have a digital, uh, like a digital spoon. You can get these off Amazon for like five bucks. They measure, you know, the amount of milligrams or grams that you place into the spoon, but uh, I'll put about 1.5 grams of paracetam, 0.75 grams of aniracetam, so like twice as much paracetam as aniracetam, and I don't exceed 1.5 grams of the paracetam, and then 500 milligrams of alpha-GPC. And you can just put all this onto the spoon, you put it in your mouth, you hold it for about 60 to 90 seconds, and you chase it with a glass of water. Um, and then, you know, you sit back and wait about 20 minutes and you can literally feel your brain cells start firing and you're good to go for about the next 12 hours, you know? And and there are certainly some people that will respond differently to that stack, but most people do pretty well with like a racetam choline combo. So that's, that's one pretty good stack for a, for a long day for like shorter term scenarios. Um, there are simpler things that you can do, uh, like caffeine combined with L-theanine works really, really well just like, you know, taking 500 milligrams of L-theanine uh, combined with a cup of black coffee or a no-dose tablet. I mean, like, you know, that that's a very simple stack. It's a very affordable stack. The L-theanine elongates the effects of the caffeine. And that's a stack that you can even use later on in the day, like, like after lunch. And it's not going to affect sleep very much because as as opposed to like just the caffeine from a cup of coffee, once you combine caffeine with L-theanine, L-theanine counteracts a lot of the the um, wakefulness effects of caffeine. In that, it allows you to go to sleep after you've used a stack like that, and not like be up till one a.m. You know, with your mind racing. So, caffeine and L-theanine is a good one. And then I also like uh, adaptogenic herb complexes. So one that I use is called TNC, and it's a mix of like Eleuthero, ashwagandha, club moss extract, um, huperzine, there's there's phosphatidylcholine in there, but it's like... 30 different herbal boosters. It's kind of like the shotgun approach. And the cool thing about adaptogenic herb blends is they work on your adrenal glands as well as on your brain and on blood flow to your brain. And this is simply something you would take like on an empty stomach in the mid-morning if you know you just want to feel pretty good and have good cognitive performance until about 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So, and And the other nice thing about something like that is it's also healthy. It's got a lot of antioxidants in it. Um, it, it doesn't have quite the, uh, the, the, potential for addiction or withdrawal symptoms is something like a racetam or a caffeine or something along those lines. So adaptogenic herbs are also something that I'll use quite a bit. And those are also helpful for athletes as well, which is another reason that I use them is, is cause I know they help me out with my workouts too. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's, there's certainly you know dozens and dozens of smart drug stacks out there, but those are a few that that I'll use.
4: Yeah. I mean, this seems like a a rabbit hole, actually, if you really start to delve into it. Oh, dude.
2: Yeah. I mean, like you could go forever about all the different things that are out there for smart drugs. And, you know, that's the other thing is it's a big money making industry right now. And you're going to find a lot of people are just like sourcing, you know, cheap ass compounds, you know, off the internet or from big bins in China and putting together the little smart drug blend and slapping their private label on it. Usually it's some kind of word plus the word brain, right? Like Mm -hmm. optimized brain or healthy brain or... Fast brain, you know, and then they they market it on Amazon or on a website or whatever. But in most cases, you do want to be kind of careful because a lot of that stuff can have it, it can either be very very low doses, not having it what it says it has in it. It can be uh, laced with metals or other you know synthetic compounds that you wouldn't want in there because of the original source. Um, you know, or or it can simply be something that you're paying way too much money for. Whereas if you just went to a bulk source, you know, just bought the bulk raw ingredients yourself, mm-hmm. you know, do like I do with just like dumping it with a spoon into my mouth, like it's it's way way less expensive.
4: So let me ask you this: I mean, how do you avoid making sure you don't get uh, tra- caught in the trap of some of the the sort of scams?
2: Uh, there are good websites. I mean, like for all supplements, there's good websites out there. Um, labdoor.com is one really good one. Like at Labdoor.com, like mm-hmm. they order supplements mm-hmm. from other websites. They don't. They don't have the supplement manufacturers send them to them. They instead order them the same way that a consumer would, so that they're ensured that they're not getting uh, like a custom batch. That's the really good stuff that they made up for the for the, the third party verification process. Mm-hmm. So they order this stuff, and they've got like a lab where I, I don't know if they use like mass spectrometry or refractants or what, but they check to see if the chemicals that are in these supplements that they say are in them are actually in them and that they're not laced with other stuff. Hmm. And so that, that, that's a cool website, Labdoor. Um, another good one is just check and see if if something that's in a supplement um, actually works. like if there's actually research behind it is examine.com. Mm -hmm. and that's just like this huge database you can search for anything right like creatine carnitine alpha gpc anything and you can see the actual number of peer-reviewed research studies that are behind that particular supplement and whether or not it's really efficacious like you know do raspberry ketones really work for fat loss or was it just that they worked for fat loss in um you know in mice with a knockout gene in a lab and it's never been proven in humans you know so um, examine is a really cool website for that. And then, I mean, you can also look at the label of a supplement. If it was made in a certified good manufacturing practices facility, which is called CGMP, that's a, that's a pretty good starting point. If it's actually got a really good third-party certification, and in most cases, um, there's one called NSF. That's really, really good because the NSF certification means that athletes can take it and pretty much know that it's got a bulletproof guarantee. It's not going to have steroids, you know, things that'll get them them popped for doping at the finish line or or you know at a game or something like that. NSF is a really good one as well. Like all the athletes I coach, I have them look for NSF supplements, um, and that just means that the supplement company had to pay out a boatload of money to actually get third party verification that that's legit. So, you know, but if you're just like buying some cowboy supplement off the internet because they had a cool website and showed some celebrities on the website, it's like you're playing with fire. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of making sure you get the pure stuff.
4: I would imagine. Well, Ben, uh, this has been really, really fascinating as I, I expected it would be. And I think our listeners are going to learn a lot from this. So, uh, I, you know, I want to close with my final question, which is a little bit different than um, sort of a shift in gears from what we've been talking about. And this is how we close all our interviews here. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable in the world today? Unmistakable. Let, let me, how would you define unmistakable? That's a good question. Well, I mean, I have my definition of it is, is, you know, doing something that only you could do in a way that only you could do it. Okay. Gotcha. And how would you make something unmistakable? Yeah. Or how, you know, what do you think makes something, some, uh, somebody or someone unmistakable?
2: You know, I think probably one of the biggest things is that you've spent time in the trenches. So like in my industry, for example, there are a lot of like personal trainers and exercise professional nowadays who went straight from like high school to the internet or from college to the internet and just like skipped the part about, you know, spending five to 10 years in a gym sweating and working with, you know, hundreds of different types of bodies and seeing how people responded and being there watching the biomechanics and seeing people move. And there's a big, big difference between like reading what somebody wrote on a blog who has never spent that amount of time in the gym versus someone who's actually spent time in the trenches. I mean, and, and, uh, you know, same thing with, with, you know, events like i I coach people for triathlons. I've spent 10 years doing Ironman triathlon out there, like sweating and bleeding and trying out all these different nutrition protocols and seeing what gave me liquid diarrhea, you know, halfway through the bike ride versus what didn't. And, and just like, you know, going out there and getting my hands dirty—probably um, not a, a very beautiful uh, uh, visual for folks. But you know, I, I think that that really one of the biggest parts of, of somebody or something being unmistakable is that there's experience there, right? Them. Proven proven experience and they're not just some, you know, show pony, you know, uh, on the internet with a nice website because they paid the money for the website or, the, you know, they've, they've got a, a, a pretty face but never actually went out there and, you know, spent time trying stuff out and experimenting. So, you know, and that's... Why I love my job because I experiment, I get to try stuff out. I pretty much live my life as a human guinea pig and then go out and write about it, tell people about it. And, you know, sometimes I mess up and and um, you know, I've certainly spent some sleepless nights from trying out a smart drug stack that <laughs> kept me up way longer than it was supposed to, for example, you know, or or, you know, I've even had some some histamine reactions to stuff where I couldn't work out for a few days because my body would live literally like break out in hives and itches from something that I'd taken that I didn't realize how to pronounce histamine response. If you're like exercising in the heat, like these are the things that you find out when you're out there in the trenches doing it. So I, I would say that a big part of being unmistakable is just like getting out there, getting experience, putting in the hard work, doing the
4: hard things, spending time in the trenches. Awesome. Well, I think that makes a a perfect way to sum up our conversation. Uh, Well, Ben, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share some of your insights with our listeners here at The Unmistakable Creative. Dude, thanks for having me on. That was fun. Yeah, absolutely. And for those of you guys listening, we'll wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared.
3: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing.